our country in your prayers. As y'all seen, if you watch the news, obviously this is a case that has kind of struck a chord with uh, people all over this nation. And uh, we want to definitely pray for the, uh, the best outcome for that to occur and so that we don't have any kind of problems or issues. My biggest comment has been, I'm just glad we don't have riots like back in Rodney King's days uh, because of this. And so far, I think we've, we've been able to avoid that. So uh, definitely pray for that for our country. Any other comments or uh, updates on prayer uh, or updates on the sick? All right. Well, let's go ahead and start class with a prayer. If y'all would, bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, our, our God Almighty, we are so thankful for the day that we've been blessed with again here this morning, that we can open up your word and we can study from it. We can try to ask the questions that we have about who you are and what you do and and how you work. And Lord, we ask that you be with us through this class, that you uh, help us to uh, open up our hearts and our minds and open up our our Bibles to uh, see what you have to say to us concerning what your will is. Lord, we are so blessed to be a part of a congregation like Dalreda, uh, that we can gather together on each first day of the week and throughout the week and be involved in so many different ministries to this area and community and to each other as we wait for your son to come back again. And Lord, we ask you to be with the church here, be with the leadership, be with the elders as they oversee us and, and lead this flock here at Dalreda. May they do so in a, in a way that is in accordance with your word and with your commandments and your will. And Lord, we ask that you be with us as members. Help us to strive diligently every day to serve and to love and to fellowship and to uh, spread your word to others uh, around us, our family, our friends, and our community. Lord, we ask you to be with those that are sick and those that are in the hospitals, and please bless the doctors and nurses that attend to them. Lord, be with those that are undergoing different treatments, especially for cancer at this time, and especially think of Orme Falk as she continues to undergo her uh, treatments. Please bless her and be with her and her family. And, and Lord, we ask you to especially be with our country. Lord, be with our leaders. May they be godly leaders. And may they turn their decision-making over to you and look to you for guidance and to your word for wisdom. Lord, may, may the people of this country uh, draw together instead of battle each other. May we not look to race or may we not look to any other uh, dividing type of... Uh, characteristics, and may we just look to you to be unified together with you, Lord, so that we will all be one people. Lord, more than anything, may we all look to you for guidance as to what you want us to do in our lives, especially the church. We know that that is where true unity is found. That's through looking at you, looking at your words and commandments, and applying those and living and obeying them in our lives. Lord, may we ever be diligent in our studies and to our dedication to you. Lord, most of all, we're thankful for Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, and it's through his name that we pray. Amen. I want you to think back to Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. And a lot of us have that uh, that prayer. A lot of us think of it being the Lord's Prayer, as you think about the, the different things that Christ tells us to pray for and to remember as we pray in our lives. Now, obviously, the Lord's Prayer isn't something that I don't believe, and I think I can argue it uh, sufficiently that we don't need to just use word by word and, and um, everything that Jesus said 
use ex- those exact words in any prayers that we might have today. Uh, but what we do see is that the Lord's Prayer gives us a, a certain standard, some certain guidance for us to be able to have an idea of what we pray for. One of those things, one of those things that Jesus wants us to pray to God is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I, I like that phrasing, and I like the way that it's, it's, it's termed. I think that it, in many ways, is very eloquent when you think about the ramifications of God's will in heaven and God's will here on earth. And as we think about this question, what exactly is the will of God? I think it's important for us to understand we've got to have some kind of an idea about this. Because we're supposed to be praying that God's will be done on earth just as it's done in heaven. Now, you can't pray with the understanding if you don't have an idea of what you're praying for. Now, I told Brother Verl before class started, I'm not sure how I'm going to squeeze this concept and this idea into a 45 or even less than 45 minute class. I've done good thus far to try and squeeze things into one class. I haven't gone over once, if y'all haven't noticed yet. Uh, and haven't started and continued a class to the next week. This may happen today. We'll see how it goes, because I think this is a very important matter. And, and it's very interesting. Well, it's not very interesting. It's very purposeful that I put it this week after we discussed last week. Can we even change God's mind? Because if you really look at it and you start studying the scriptures, the, the whole point and principle about changing God's mind really comes about about changing us. Not really changing God. You don't change God. But it's kind of changing us, informing and molding us to be more prayerful, more focused on God's will when we pray. In fact, if you look, and we're going to look at some of the scriptures today, we're we're told by God that if we pray with faith, if we are our faithful prayer, as well as the fact that we pray in accordance with God's will, those things will be given to us. Now, think about that impact. Our prayers must be in accordance with God's will. What is God's will? Can we know what God's will is? Real quickly, and and, uh, this is the first paragraph that Brother Verl said, I need the first paragraph of the handout I should spend 45 minutes on. I'm not going to. I hope to spend maybe four to five at at most uh, on this whole section here. But look, this word will, I want you to look real quickly if you could with this. uh, And and you can follow along, obviously, in the handout if you'd like there. Uh, But the Greek word uh, with regard to the word will is a word that is thelema, thelema. Now, thelema is a word that in in the Greek comes from actually a a verb. This is actually a noun version of it. And and this word will used in almost every, I think there's one passage that I found a different Greek word. And it has to do with an implication of the Old Testament versus New Testament. So that's, I think, the difference in that will uh, that's used, uh, the will of God. But you see, will of God, this word used, thelema, used with regard to the will of God in every passage in the New Testament that I was able to uh, locate and find. Uh, Literally, this word means a determination that is a choice, uh, like specifically a purpose or a decree, uh, or maybe even abstractly just a volitional ability to to make a choice, uh, or an inclination of an individual uh, to be toward a certain purpose or a certain reason. Uh, It can be translated into the English language uh, as a word desire, 
pleasure or will, according to Strong's Greek Dictionary. Uh, most of the time, as we have seen, this word, thelema, uh, actually is, is translated as will of God. But just think in your mind that the translators could have just as accurately have said the desire of God in these passages. That to us, I think, conveys just a little bit less ambiguous sometimes of an idea and concept. Uh, the word will can be uh, a little bit uh, convoluted in some respects, and it can be uh, somewhat ambiguous at times. Uh, the word will, of course, is used like in the last will and testament, something that only becomes in effect or goes into effect at the point of someone's death or at the conclusion of some other previous will or commandment or testament, as we may uh, use it in the New and the Old Testament, so to speak. Uh, that's not necessarily the will of God here as being uh, some testament, some agreement, so to speak, or some promise. Uh, that's not the word here used in the Greek. Uh, the word here in the Greek meaning will is something more of a volitional, a choice or a purpose uh, that has kind of been set out. I, I like to go a little bit deeper. The word will in the philosophical context uh, can refer to the property of the mind and an attribute of acts intentionally committed. In, in the legal world, there are actually some definitions or some crimes that are willfully committed. And the reason they use that terminology, willfully committed, is it is an indication that there is some type of an intentional action that is done. It may not be an action that I intend to kill somebody, but you intended to drive your car at a fast rate of speed. So you willfully may have caused someone's death, whether you intended to cause it or not, because you intended to drive your car that fast. Whether you intended to cause their death... It's another question. Do you understand? There's a little distinction there. And that's where philosophically you get into this discussion about whether someone willfully acts or or does something. Um, Actions made according to a person's will are called willing or voluntary actions. And sometimes they're, they're called, as I said, willful or at will. And in general, will does not refer to one particular or, or even a most preferred desire, but rather to the general capacity to have such desires and act decisively based on them. Again, we're getting a little philosophical here. But I think that kind of touches tangentially on the, the aspect of God's will and the fact that there are certain things that God has this capacity to perform. A person's will uh, is actually one of the most decisive and distinctive parts of their mind and in essence really makes the person person who they are. It's one of those things that, that kind of defines an individual because you have that willpower. We've used that term before, right? Sometimes I say I have a, a strong-willed daughter. If, you look, if you're around my 16-month-old, you'll see what I mean. But she, she is a strong-willed daughter sometimes. Why? Because she has something set in her mind sometimes that she's going to do regardless of the impact, but it's a volitional choice that she makes. We all have that will. Now, you compare that with, with God and God's will. As we think of the will of God, our, our God's will in the passages that we'll be discussing, and we try to define and look at here in the text of the Scripture, what you see is God's will is definitively uh, or is definitely intentional and purposeful, and it's every bit the descriptive element of who He is and makes Him who He is. It not only describes Him, but it really underscores the essence of God. You think about the will of God from the beginning. It's a very purposeful decision of God to create the world, to create the things around us. There was a definitive decision made in his mind that he's going to create. There's a definitive decision in God's mind that he is going to sustain 
us. We'll get into some of those passages as well, hopefully this morning as we look at the scriptures. God's will is purposeful, but it also is descriptive of who he is and makes him what he is in his life. Also, God's will refers to the concept that God has a plan for mankind and desires to see this plan fulfilled. I think this is the, more the context of the Greek word used here to indicate a purpose behind God's will. That there are certain things that God has placed in order. There are certain things that God has established to be. And those things establish God's will to make sure that God's plan is ultimately carried out and taken care of. You think about what has God purposed or what kind of things has he purposefully made or done in this world. Well, think about creation and nature. We'll get into this a little bit. But, but God has purposefully put in course the actions of nature. God does not always reach down and, and change things or change the course of nature. Why? Because he's placed it into essence and existence. He allows nature to run its course for the most part. There are times, and we can see in biblical accounts, where God has changed the impact that nature may have on some situation, the effect, so to speak, that nature's role should have had. You know, you think about the flood, the flood that God put into place that allowed to occur because of the, the rains and those things should have wiped out everybody. But God actually reached down, figuratively speaking, he actually talked down to Noah and said, hey, build this ark. And so he, in essence, he impacted and affected the change on Noah and his family alone. That's it. He changed that outcome. You think of other things, sickness and death and dying. You think of the New Testament miracles. The, the whole concept of supernatural miracles are to change the course of what nature has in store for an individual. If you get sick, you may die. But God changed those things and directly changed the impact and effect that nature may have had because he would heal them, would allow them to be well again. The uh, widow of Zarephath, Elisha, or Elijah was able to raise her son from the dead. Lazarus in the Old and the New Testament was able to be raised from the dead. Well, obviously that is counterintuitive or counterproductive to what nature should have allowed or nature would have caused because it actually brought life instead of ultimately death. Uh, See, what you see is God's will, though, refers to this concept that he's got a plan or a purpose that he's placed into effect. You can also look at it spiritually speaking. God's will overwhelmingly. In the Old Testament, God's will was that there would be a nation that would be preserved. Well, literally, actually, a remnant of a nation. Uh, When you look at the nation of Israel, his promises all the way dating back to Abraham and his days had this plan and purpose in effect and said that, hey, all nations would be prospered, would be blessed by you and your seed. And so because of that promise made back to Abraham, that plan and purpose put into effect back in Genesis around Genesis 17, That affected the whole course from there on out because God had this plan and purpose in mind. Sometimes he would intervene supernaturally. Sometimes he would allow those things to naturally occur and allow his plan and purpose to be fulfilled. We'll get into that a little bit more. You can honestly already see probably that I'm referring to the providential aspect of God's actions. But God's will, as you look at it and try to define it, it is something that refers to the fact that not only is it something intentional, that it is purposeful, but it's a fact that God has this plan, God has this ideal set out in his mind that he is going to work toward and fulfill. So let God's will be done in, on earth as it is done in heaven literally means that that plan which God has set in, in effect, that, that plan which God has set in force would not only be 
fulfilled on in heaven, but also that it would be fulfilled on earth. Carol. Possibly. Um, right. Yeah. God's will, of course, of course, you're getting a, The question was, if y'all didn't hear it, is, is, is God's will in heaven, would that also apply to the fact when, this, when Satan opposed him in heaven? Would that be the ultimate ramifications of God's will being done in heaven? And I would answer to say, well, I think that's a good example of ultimately God's will conquering and, and being purposefully uh, brought about. Uh, I don't think that God purposed that Satan would, would, would turn on him. That was Satan's free will that ultimately allowed him or, or caused him to fall. But ultimately what you see is the impact of that, though, brought about the purpose and the plan that God wanted to, I think, bring about to show his almighty power both on heaven and on earth. Josh. Um, It could. It could. And that's a good, good point. I, I, earlier, I tried to make an, a, a, a comparison of the fact that there's a dis- distinguishing difference, I, I believe, with regard to the, the uh, will of God, as you talk about it generally speaking, and then talking about the will of God being instituted at his death, which would be what Hebrews 9 is, is alluding to. Uh, overreaching, it's really funny because, let me just back up. Here's an aside. I don't know where I got this. I think it was in college. I actually tried to message my college professor on Facebook last night to say, hey, did I learn this from you? Because I could not remember where I got this, this from. But I've always kind of heard it talk about it as kind of the big will of God and the little will of God, which is kind of interesting, to, the, the dynamics of that. What I mean is you've got this overarching, and we're going to talk about this overarching will of God of things that God has his purpose and plan for. But then you have the little will of God. And the little will of God is, doesn't make, mean it... It's any less important, by the way, when I put little beside it. I'm just saying it's, it is inferior to the overarching principle and will of God. The little will of God is kind of what I think of of God and his everyday effects of our lives. You know, because we can pray that God's will be done, right? In our prayers even today, that as we're making decision processes and we're trying to, to do things, that we try to show our submissiveness to God and ask God to, you know, God, when I'm trying to make this decision about this job, God, I just ask that your will be done. You know, when we talk about people's death or sickness, sometimes we talk about God, we, we ask you, please let your will be done in this. Um, now, I think sometimes we misconstrue that, and I want to get to that if I can in this lesson, maybe next week. But when you think about the idea and concept of, of letting God's will be done almost in our everyday affairs, it's a little bit different than God's overarching concept of his overall encompassing will of wanting us to be faithful, obedient, and be saved. And that's really when you get down to it, what God's overarching will is. We'll get to that. I'll show you some scriptures in a moment. But I think so, Josh, as you look at those things, I think that, that comment's very valid because when you look at God's will and how he wants these things to be done, there are other things that he does to make sure that those overarching concepts are done. 
Uh, and I think that it impacts even our daily lives sometimes. Carol, did you have a comment? Right. You got to be careful about some of those, those, those things. But yes, God commissioned and God instructed. He told people to go and to go teach and preach. Uh, and it was God's will that they would go and teach and preach. Uh, but then again, he's not going to circumvent or supersede our individual free will. So you've got that in, in the whole mix of things with regard to our free will. He may present us with those opportunities. And later on in this lesson, I'm going to call them open doors and closed doors, so to speak. Uh, when you think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I think sometimes we are privy to what God wants maybe in our lives because of the opportunities that come up. That's not always possible. You can be presented with bad opportunities. Uh, that doesn't mean we've got to follow them. Uh, so that, that in and of itself is not sufficient for us to just walk through that door. But it, it should make us question things, shouldn't it? Uh, hey, hey, should I consider this? Should I consider that? Obviously, it may be a closed door if it does this or does that to me uh, or to my, my thinking. Uh, but yes, definitely God presents those opportunities to us to consider and to think. Look with me real quickly. I want us to go ahead and start. His will revealed. And if you look on the right side of your handout, you're going to see nine different things that I have tried to, to number and to look at here. And as I said, I hope to try and get through these this morning. We may not get through all of them, but I want to try my best to do what I can. First of all, with regard to the will of God, I want to make it very clear we can know the will of God. We can know the will of God. Now, if you look at your Bibles, what you're going to see is scriptures after scriptures that talk about knowing God's will. Look, Acts chapter 22, verse 14. And I'm going to be reading the English Standard Version here, at least these few verses. Uh, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. John chapter 9, verse 31. There's another passage there as as uh, we read, it says, we know God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Uh, how can we do something we don't know what it is? <laughs> we can't, logically speaking. And so there's going to be several passages about this point, and you'll see the point number two is we can do his will. But that, the implication of that is we've got to be able to know the will of God. We've got to be able to know what it is. And we've got to be able to understand it, so to speak, so that we will be able to do the will of God. Mark uh, 3, verse 33, he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? You'll remember this passage. You know, they came to Jesus and they said, hey, your mother and brothers are outside. And Jesus said, who are my mothers and brothers? And looking at, about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew seven twenty one. we know this passage Christ speaking there very specifically about those who would come and entreat at the judgment. And he says there, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of, of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. We got to be able to know God's will to be able to do God's will. So we can know God's will in our lives. Finally, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Our spiritual lives, our applications, our reading, our studying, they're all going to allow us to do what? Verse 2 says, to be able to discern or determine or find out or uncover or sort through and figure out what exactly the will of God is. Those things which are good, those things which are acceptable, and those things which are perfect. We can know the will of God. It's not some moral ambiguity. It's not something out there that we're thinking, oh, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, yeah, yeah, you should. You should know what the will of God is because he's given us the resources, the ability, the understanding that we can sort through. We can understand what the will of God is for our lives. Second of all, we can do the will of God. We can do. It is not an impossibility to obey and to do those things which God wants us to do. John chapter 7, verses 16 uh, and 17. Look real quickly there. John chapter 7, 16 through 18. All right, now if you look here, the passage here in John chapter 7, uh, verse 16 through 18, is going to be a passage of Scripture dealing with Christ and His teaching there. It says, So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone is willing to do His will, by the way, His is capitalized, it refers back to who? The one who sent Him. So if anybody is willing to do His will, He will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from Himself seeks His own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. We can't do the will of God. I've already read several other passages previously talking about doing the will of God. But I want to flip over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, real quickly if I can. And you see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, another passage that just underscores the fact that we're able to do the will of God. Not just knowing, it's not just understanding, but it's actually putting it into action and actually doing the things that God wants us to do. It says, the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, the reason why I want to read that passage is because it directly leads us into the next point. Not only do we do, can we do the will of God, but the will of God is actually salvation. That's what the will of God is. Ultimately, God's salvation is the umbrella that kind of goes over every other aspect of his will. That's what God wants in our lives. And verse 17 just said, the one who does the will of God lives forever. It's that eternal life in doing the will of God that God wants us to aspire to, to challenge ourselves to accomplish, and to go through each and every day of our lives following after his will. Why? Because overall, overreaching, God wants us to go to heaven. Look at Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts 2, of course, we know is the beginning of the church. And in the midst of the sermon there that's preached on the day of Pentecost, Peter refers to the idea of, the, uh, of, of God and the salvation that, that God is bringing to us. He, he's going back and he's talking, of course, uh, earlier about the prophecies in Joel. And there in the first part of uh, verses 14 through 21, uh, quoting some of the, the prophecies that they, they are. And in verse 22, he kind of drink, brings it home, so to speak. That application that we love in lessons, right? It says, men of, Naz- of Israel, look. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you you yourselves knew. This man delivered over uh, by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God, 
you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of flesh, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. I love verse 23. This man, according to what? The predetermined plan. The foreknowledge of God. God had a plan in effect way before Christ ever came to the earth. And the whole sense and the whole purpose of the plan was to make sure that we had salvation, that we could be reunited with God from that horrible fall in the Garden of Eden when Satan first entered this world, that we would be able to be reconciled with God. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. Ephesians 3, verse 9 reads this. And, and the bring light which is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Now, that's when you think about this, this will of God may not have been readily apparent to those. What Paul's saying here is, hey, I'm here. I have been assigned the task to reveal the mystery to you. That this will of God, this plan, this purpose of God has been placed and put into effect. Yeah, I mean, you just think of the, 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 the general concept of, of, of John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, right? For We know verse 16. Most of us can quote it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But how often do we actually go through and really see verse 17? We, we like to quote verse 16. Look with me. As a matter of fact, I think I, I, I put 17 under uh, in my Bible, when you look at the, the concept there, it's just as important. Why? Because it talks about the, the purpose, the plan, the will of what God wanted to be done. He who, uh, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. You talk about the will of God. What does God want? What does God desire? He desires that we be saved. And that's his will. Really, when you get down to it, and we're going to get into some other points as you see there on your page and in your handout, you're going to see other things. But number three really becomes the crux of, of the life, the death, the burial of, of Jesus Christ. It becomes the crux of everything that occurred in the Old Testament leading up into the New Testament. We see that in Hebrews. I think Josh referred to Hebrews 9, uh, the replacement of the wheels. You go on and you see Hebrews 10, the comparison between the old law and the new law and the sacrifices that you see there. The whole point and principle to all those things is that God's will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And that we are unified, we have continual fellowship, that we have love, that we are reunited with our maker and our creator, the one who loved us so much he gave us his son. That's the ultimate will of God. Now, every other point we get to this, both today and next week, because we're not going to get done, is going to be pointing to this principle, I believe, the overwhelming will of God being God wants us to be saved. That's what he really wants. Does he care who we marry? Yeah, he's going to care who we marry. Does he, and the reason he does is because there's certain commandments about it. There's certain things about it. And obviously that, mean, that lends credibility to ultimately are we saved, right? Because if we don't obey commandments in marriage, we can't be saved. Does he care about what job we do? Yeah. 
He cares about those things. He's given us some guidance. He's given us some instruction. Why? Because ultimately, why? That may lead to salvation or non-salvation. Does he care about the way we talk? Yeah. Does he care about our families, how we raise our children? Yes, he does. Does he care about what school our children go to? You better believe he does. God cares and loves us on every aspect, on every playing field. God loves us in every workplace atmosphere. He loves us regardless of where we are. Why? Because he wants us to be saved. Does he really care if I'm a lawyer or not? Eh, Probably not. I could be anything. One time I wanted to be a preacher. One time I wanted to be a firefighter. One time I wanted to be a, 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 a teacher in a college. I thought about all those different things in my life. Does he really care which avenue I take? Probably not. Because he's going to try and use me wherever I go. That's the providential aspect. We'll get to that in a second. Because God's will is active and living. God can use those decisions, whether they're boneheaded decisions or good decisions on our part. He'll use them. But he cares because... It affects salvation. That relationship with God is paramount to anything and everything else. That is what I would call the big will of God. Because that will comprises everything else. Everything else is kind of secondary because it all leads up. It all kind of strains. I really thought about, I didn't have enough time. Uh, This week's been crazy at work. But I didn't have enough time to to do a cool graphic about everything kind of leading to this overwhelm umbrella of the will of God. Maybe I'll work on it for next week since I don't have time. Uh, since we're going to be going to next week. But you just think about the, the, the umbrella of God and the fact that he cares about our, our, our salvation more than anything. That will of God, when you think about every time will of God is mentioned in the scriptures, you can really almost insert that concept in there because that's what he cares about. That we should be saved, that we should gain salvation. Other scriptures point to other things, other aspects of what God's will is. And I think it's, I want to at least mention those things to you uh, as we go through this lesson. Fourth, God's will is sanctification specifically. You look over in 1 Thessalonians with me real quick. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 3. Paul there talking to the Thessalonian brethren, Thessalonica, dealing with some of the issues there, answering some of their questions they had there. And in chapter 4 and verse 3 of the first book to them, it says, For this is the will of God. I like it when it says that, right? That's the direct answers. <laughs> this is the will of God, Paul says, inspired Paul. Your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, again, What is the will of God? Well, it's salvation. Substitute that in there. Can't we substitute? God wants us to be saved, right? Abstaining from sexual lusts. Huge thing. Could impact our salvation. But specifically here, he says, my will or or God's will is sanctification. God wants us to be pure. God wants us to be unblemished, unspotted. Sin hurts God. Why does it hurt? It doesn't matter what kind of sin, by the way. It could be a little... White lie or full-fledged adultery. It could be murder. It could be whatever big bad sin you want to think of in your mind all the way down to the, the little sins. They hurt God. Why do they hurt? Because they separate you from God. Again, going back to the overwhelming, uh, the big will of God and the fact that he wants us to be saved. If anything gets in the way, any impurity gets in the way, we will not gain that salvation. So God wants us to understand that his will is that we be sanctified, that we be set apart, that we be unique 
be ready to meet him in the judgment. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4 and verse 12. It says there, Epaphras, by the way, who's one of the colleagues of Paul, was with him. It says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. It's kind of interesting. You start studying will of God, how you start finding these verses where you kind of almost glanced over it before. Have you ever caught yourself doing that in a study? I did. And this is one of the verses that kind of jumped out at me in this study here. You know, you just read it. We think, oh, it's talking about Epaphras. It's talking about how much he loves the, uh, the, the people at Colossae. You know, that's what this verse is kind of talking about. But really, it gets a little deeper than that. Because Epaphras not only loved the people at Colossae, but he loved them so much that he was laboring earnestly in his prayers. Imagine a diligent, prayerful man like Daniel of the Old Testament, that, that he continually, constantly prayed for these people at Colossae. Why? Because he wanted them to be perfect. He wanted them to be perfect. He loved them so much, he wanted them to be pure. He wanted them to be unspotted from the world and fully assured in all the will of God. How can we know the will of God? The will of God is sanctification. It's the fact that we are unblemished, that we are purified, that we in the sight of God have no separation from him. What else does the Bible say that the will of God is? Well, if you look at and do a word search, you're also going to find 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 is another passage that Paul thankfully gives us a very specific reference to the will of God. And if you want to flip over there with me, you can read it. But Philippians, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 reads this. It says, in everything, give thanks. Why? That's a good little question to put. Why? Why do we do that? Paul answers it for us. He says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, you think of the verses preceding it. We talk about rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Uh, you know, by the way, verse 16 is technically the, the shortest verse in the Greek. <laughs> rejoice always. You know, those kind of principles Paul's throwing there at the Thessalonian brethren. But here he says, and in everything give thanks. Because this is the will of of God. Think about God's will being Thanksgiving. I love the, the holiday Thanksgiving. I, I think most of us would probably say that's one of our favorite holidays, probably just because we eat so much. Uh, I love the food. My mama always cooked and, and brought certain foods. And I remember the family gatherings where we would always have uh, too much food. We'd be eating the turkey for weeks afterwards. You know, turkey this and turkey that, turkey sandwiches. And I feel sorry for those who don't like leftovers because they really fully do not appreciate and understand Thanksgiving. I appreciated it, though, thankfully. Uh, so I still appreciate Thanksgiving. I love the turkey sandwiches that are made afterwards for days and days. The concept of Thanksgiving, though, that we have in our minds sometimes is a little, I think, warped. We have no problem being thankful in the good times. But what about the bad times? God's will is that we are thankful every time. That, that we look to him with thanksgiving no matter what the circumstances are. In everything, give thanks. How does that resonate with you about God's will? First of all, I don't think God likes whining. Uh, I don't like whining. 
Um, it's probably one of them becoming, especially with two girls in the house, but, well, three girls, but I'm not, I'm not saying Monica's whining, okay? Do not tell my wife I said she whines. I'm talking about the two little girls. And, and it's funny to see them bicker and whine. And um, Jennifer, I see you here. Uh, uh, you know, you got sisters, you know, grown up with, and they kind of bicker. Carol's told me about her sisters, I mean, her daughters who are sisters. Uh, and they just kind of whine, and they're like, hey, students are doing this, and so and so doing that, and it's like, ugh, I'm so over it. Whining is horrible. But how often do we whine to God? It's sad. I, I whine to God. I'm, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers except at myself, because we do. We whine. We, we complain. Well, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? Maybe you don't blame God for it, but you, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why me? You think of Job, and, and Job's kind of a whiner sometimes. You know, he doesn't necessarily outright go against God. He did not sin against God. So I'm not saying whining is necessarily a sin. It's kind of more of a questioning mentality. I think it could probably lead to sin. But, you know, the, the idea and concept that you're not being thankful is what whining is. Tilly's got more fruit on her plate than I do. I want that toy. We hear whining with the kids, and we forget, as adults, we whine too. So-and-so's got a better life than I do. Why do they have more money than I do? And we don't talk like that anymore as adults. Sometimes we think that way. God's will... According to the scriptures, it's not just that we're saved, not just that we're pure, but that we are thankful. He wants us to be thankful. And that means full of thanks. For those who need me to break you down in the English. I'm not a big English person. Uh, Miss Ray can probably give us a little bit more on that, but uh, I, not me. But thankful, think in your mind, is not just one event. It's not just one time. But you are literally full of of thankful. God wants us in our lives as Christians, as husbands, as wives, as grandparents, as children. God's will is that we are thankful. That we are thankful. Why? Because that shows the attitude that God wants. That shows the love that God desires. That shows God that we are happy and we appreciate all that he's done. That leads, by the way, to salvation. Until someone is truly thankful for what God has done for them, you won't be saved. You might be dunked in the water one time, but until you truly experience and understand and realize that I am truly thankful for not just God creating me, but for him bringing about his son for my sake, you will not have a truly sanctified, fulfilled, saved life. We're going to pick up here next week. Y'all keep your handouts. I'll have some extra copies up here in case you lose them. We'll pick up here next week. Thank you so much.